Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, it's pretty standard that you have to abstain from food and water in advance of any surgery. But for women undergoing elective C-sections, that rule has been amended in Limerick Maternity Hospital, where they're allowed to sip some water until it's time for their operation. Tracy Donegan is a midwife and author of the Irish Caesarean and VBAC Guide. Afternoon, Tracy. Hi, how are you, Sean? Uh, can I start with a really stupid question? Why in advance of surgery of any sort are you uh, uh, supposed to abstain from food and water? Well, the fear is uh, is aspiration pneumonia, that if you need to have a general anaesthetic. Now, thankfully, most women having a planned cesarean are not having a general anaesthetic. But if you're having a general anaesthetic, there is a fear that you could regurgitate really the contents of your stomach. So ah. um, that that's the fear. Right. OK, fair enough. Uh, uh, so, so why have they amended this rule uh, specifically for women having elected C-sections? Well, what we're hoping is it won't just be restricted to women having elective cesareans, that this will become a nationwide uh, option for hospitals to adopt so that it's when we look at, you know, why why have we never done this before? Well, it's because we've we've just as as we tend to do in, in maternity services, we follow along with outdated procedures and outdated uh Policy. So the research really doesn't support not having at least clear liquids in in that time waiting to go for your uh, your surgery. Mm. Uh, and the, the, uh, but particularly in the case of women waiting for a C section, is there an element where you know they can be bumped down the queue and therefore might have to wait far longer than was anticipated? No, absolutely. Look, we we know our services are under you know incredible strain. So if an emergency comes in, or you know a woman has to have an in labor cesarean, she will take priority. So you, know, you can have mothers that are sitting there now. If they're lucky, they will be at the top of the queue and they're in and out. They get to meet their baby and all is good. But for those mothers who get bumped down the queue, they can be. I mean, I've talked to women who have been you know seven, eight, ten hours without even a sip of water. And Ooh. I mean, it's it's inhuman. Never mind the fact that it actually sends them into surgery at a disadvantage, like for like looking at their blood pressure and trying to get an IV in and they're they're dehydrated then coming out of that surgery. Yeah, and, and but this practice was they'd already kind of developed this in the UK, is that right? Yeah, so it's it's been developed in the UK, and I, I you know I have to say a shout out to Dr. Matthew Checkets in the UK who has really driven this new initiative uh, called Sip Till Send. So it's uh, and and they're they're continuing to audit everything and to make sure this continues to be safe for for pretty much for everybody who you know other than you know specific complicated surgeries that would have a, a gastrointestinal issue, but for most people they will be able to sip liquids right up until they're called to theatre. So it's, and around their anxiety levels as well. And, mm-hmm. and for me personally, I'm thinking of um, young children. If you're fasting a child that's getting ready for surgery or, or a, an elderly patient, that we can continue to keep a certain level of comfort and, and really humanity when, when the, the research really isn't there that we, you know, we cut them off, you know, for 12 hours beforehand. Yeah. On caesareans, is, is the rate of, my impression that the rate of caesarean sections in Ireland is, is very low. Is that the case? Oh, I wish that were the case. Um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, 
in the last, I think 2017 was the last time we've really taken a good look at this. But uh, uh, Dr. Mike Turner, who was one of the former lead obstetricians over in the Coombe, he published some studies that showed that our cesarean rate in the last 20 years has gone up 154%. Mm. Why would that so be? It, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors. Part of that is uh, women who will have private care are much more likely to have a cesarean and are much more likely to not have what's called a VBAC vaginal birth after cesarean for a subsequent pre- pregnancy. So there's, there's lots of factors, but it's we have a, a culture really that has now normalized cesareans. And, you know, we see on social media that it looks like, you know, this is an easy option instead of really women getting the full you know information about what are the benefits and what are the potential and long term potential risks of having major abdominal surgery. And, mm. and induction is a big part of that. We're seeing induction rates even within the Dublin hospitals now of like 54% of women being induced, sometimes higher, 60% in some Dublin hospitals uh, over the last couple of months for first time parents. My word. I mean, they're just, they're, there's questions that need to be asked here and, and our you know, HSC needs to really take a look at these figures. Uh, now, but, but if, you know, if a woman is being induced, can she, can she request induction and, and would she get it? She can request induction. Um, and if she does, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, her, her midwife, her obstetrician will sit down with her and really give an unbiased view or, OK, so this is what comes along with a, an induction. These are the reasons why we would medically recommend an induction. And these are some of the potential, you know, trade offs that can come with that. But women just aren't getting the information to make an informed decision about you know, what is happening with induction and the fact that inductions are, you know, again, on the increase. And there was actually a great paper published uh, this year and they interviewed obstetricians in Ireland. There was uh, 30 obstetricians and they interviewed women as well about why they feel the cesarean rate in Ireland is increasing. And one thing that that uh, the obstetrician said was induction was a big part of it. Hmm. Um, that women aren't getting the information i guess yes, so yeah. let me let me quote you on on just um some of what was uh, what some of the obstetricians said they said literally these women are presenting for cold inductions as in vague indications at 38 weeks or 39 weeks they are not physiologically ready for labor and you're trying to force the process mm. this was one of the reasons for the rising rates and inductions and then they're saying like there's Induction rates going up for, you know, obstetrician going on holidays. One And one that gets my goat here big time, and this is the quote from one of the obstetricians, is gestational diabetes. Even though baby is doing well, there's, and she's fine, you don't have to induce her. So even the obstetricians themselves are looking at this picture and saying, we're, we're inducing women far too often in Ireland for vague reasons. Yeah. And by the same time, I mean, that the women might have a set of perceptions as to why they want to go for a, an elective uh, cesarean. Uh, the, the, like, can you, it, uh, the way things are at the moment, can you like, when you go in for your first scan, say, I want to put it down on, you know, I want to, I want a C-section when the time comes. <laughs> Generally not. If, uh, but it's you know it's, it's kind of like an, an underground system of you know women will contact me and they will talk within them with you know within their own groups as well to find out 
if you know i really want to have a planned cesarean i do not want to go through labor then who do i go to so they will they will source the obstetrician that will provide that choice and and i'm not saying that women should not have a choice they absolutely should but we have to look kind of you know a little bit more upstream to what especially for someone who's had a previous cesarean what happened to them in that previous experience that makes them think that this is a good idea so women who've had really difficult like birth trauma i mean who could blame them in choosing mm. what what feels like a very controlled environment the next time and a lot less unpredictability but i would you know ethically you know as a midwife and and our you know medical staff have an obligation to sit with that woman and go through the options and and give her the full picture of what are the potential trade-offs of an elective cesarean so an elective cesarean is it can have lifelong implications on because we know that your next pregnancy may be more complicated it doesn't affect just that pregnancy so it may affect your ability to become pregnant with each subsequent pregnancy it becomes more dangerous due to the placenta adhering to um a lower in in the uh the uterus creating more problems or even just their fertility so it's it's really a bigger discussion to have than just let's put you in the book for whatever date that is. Mm, now, and I imagine as well having two or three or maybe even four uh, um, abdominal surgeries, is that's, that must have some health knock-on as well. Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, health knock-on for potentially for mom, health knock-on for baby as well. But when we look at mums themselves, we're looking at increased risk of, you know, the scar tissue within the body adhering to like like it gets sticky and can connect to your bladder or other organs so it's it's really a once that first cesarean has happened really we should be helping women to really make an informed decision about what happens next time and in in studies in um in the the, in scandinavia what they've done was for someone who had a previous cesarean when they offered them counseling and had helped them debrief their previous experience and what happened most women are happy to go for vbac and and at least to attempt having a vaginal birth the next time around but mm. i really don't think that the majority of women in ireland are getting the information to make the best decisions for themselves really from an informed standpoint yeah why are they getting that information tracy well, I mean, again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting our own like lead obstetricians here. Like in 2012, um, there was the, the, the first and only VBAC uh, national um, conference. And Dr. Michael Turner was there. And, and he what he said was we are dealing with exaggerated professional scaremongering and it must stop. So. Women are being, and, and really don't have to look very far to get information about women not being given the information about what are, you know, the, the real life trade-off, the real life risks to abdominal surgery, to routine induction of labor. There are always going to be circumstances when induction is important. And it's mm -hmm. for, the, for those women who have complicated pregnancies. And there's always going to be, you know, very clear reasons for someone who needs to have a, an elective cesarean. But it's, it just seems that we, we have this runaway train in Ireland right now where the rates are on this, this upward tra trajectory. And this was happening long before COVID. So 
I, I, I can't, you know, I, when people say, oh, that's COVID, it's like, no, 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 this was happening. We were on this trajectory, you know, before COVID ever hit our shores. Yeah, somebody's actually just texted in. Uh, Tracy's saying, I had an induction on my first baby at 39 weeks. It ended up with a very intense day of labour and the C-section at 9pm at night. This was during COVID where her husband was kicked out once I got back for, up from recovery and I was on my own in the hospital for four days. I thankfully had my second baby in February this year as a VBAC just at the 40-week mark, much easier recovery and much easier to breastfeed without the abdominal surgery. Of course, that would be a huge factor as well. If you Yeah, and, it, and it, also, it also plays into their mental health. You know, for, for somebody who is expecting to go in and have a straightforward you know, if it is you no know, straightforward induction and, and you have this picture in your head of how you'd like things to go and it can, induction just changes the process right from the get go. But if it's an induction for kind of what we call routine induction, as in, you know, you're being induced because you're five days over or this baby is looking big mm. and which there is no evidence for. So ideally we should have national guidelines for induction of labor. We should also have national guidelines for the care of healthy, well women in spontaneous labor in Ireland, but they don't exist. So we have each individual unit deciding which guidelines they will implement, which guidelines, you know, suit their their culture in that hospital. And it's just, it's uneven. It is a really, is a lottery for women to, and they have to do their research about what's happening in the unit they've chosen because for some reason, for some moms, they don't have a choice. Mm, Tracy, thanks a minute. I'm sorry, Tracy, to interrupt you, but uh, we had run out, ran over time, actually. That was uh, Tracy Donegan there, uh, midwife and author of the Irish Caesarean and VBAC Guide. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. I'm going to take a break. After that, the death of a culture in the forest. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.